It's the Breakcast, Breakcast, the Breakcast, Welcome to the Marvel Binge Podcast for Pop Break. My name is Laura Dengrove, and I am joined today by Al Manorino. Hey. Rachel Freeman. Hello. And Matt Gilbert. Hey, guys. Uh, So today we're going to be discussing phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which seems honestly like forever ago. Um, And so in, in this phase, we are introduced to Iron Man, Tony Stark, uh, AKA Tony Stark, the Incredible Hulk, uh, Thor, and Captain America, along with Black Widow, Hawkeye. I kind of feel bad kind of just throwing them in there, but I mean, they don't have their own movie yet. So, uh, the movies didn't what feel happened. bad. What'd you say? The movies didn't feel bad not just yeah. throwing them in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did. I, did anyone else realize that, uh, just a throwing in there that Hawkeye actually appeared in Thor? Before appearing in the Avengers, I feel like that totally uh, just escaped my brain. No, that that definitely happened. Uh, you know, I'm I feel like I'm one of the older people here um, who remembers actually going to see that movie when it came out oh, and whoa. and and being so excited that they were kind of you know expanding the universe without jamming it down our throat like they did in Iron Man Two. It was just like you like it's it's Clint. It's we know it's Hawkeye. It's it's a very quick little thing. It's not six characters being thrown at us like an Iron Man 2. Yeah, but I also feel, though, like it kind of just symbolizes how Hawkeye is going to be treated throughout all the movies where he's just kind of he's there. It's just it's Hawkeye. He's just Uh, man. I wish we can talk about Age of Ultron and then I know, I know. the Which future of the Marvel Universe because I disagree completely. Uh, okay, well, that will be next week. But um, so phase one as a whole, how did everyone kind of feel about the beginning of essentially the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it today? I, get, I mean, I can I can start real quick. Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Just saying as someone who, uh, you know, after they, you know, sat through Iron Man um try to recover from all the awesomeness that they just watched. And then to get this little teaser after credit with, with Samuel L. Jackson saying like, there is more there that you're not the only one. And, you know, we knew incredible Hulk was coming that we like, we literally didn't even connect the dots. Like we're like, Oh, they're just coming out with two superhero movies. Like we really didn't know that it was all together. It wasn't until that final moment. So it was the culmination of, of these movies leading to the Avengers. Like I honestly, like, after the Avengers, I could have been like, cool, I'm good. I could die now. Like, I saw that. And yeah. it's just crazy to see where we've gotten, you know, since. I mean, oh, you can go back. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I, I completely agree. I I personally find that phase one is the most rewatchable of all of these because you can watch them and it doesn't feel like they have to be part of an established continuity. I, I love the uncertainty that we feel with all of them because it's through every single movie, you you get the feeling that they did not know it was going to work until it did all the way in the Avengers four years later. 
I mean, like, I, I actually kind of disagree slightly on that, that I actually kind of found it a little hard to rewatch while at the same time being super excited that, yeah, what I'm watching, what I'm witnessing is the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it. But I also kind of feel like at the same time as the audience did not know really what to expect and what was happening, I kind of feel like Marvel at the time didn't really understand what they were doing, um, kind of just taking a, a bet and being like, all right, you know, this is what might happen and we might be successful. I mean, they had a lot riding on on all of this because actually they had to put up all of their characters for collateral just to make a uh, Iron Man. So if that didn't work, what we have now would just never have existed, which is really cool to think, but at the same time, it just kind of feels very... I don't want to say the word innocent, but just not the Marvel universe that I've come to know as it is now, which obviously I think that's understandable. I just, it's just really kind of weird to me. I mean, Rachel, do you have any thoughts on this? So I, I, you brought up the, it's funny that you brought up the, that it feels kind of innocent because what I was thinking was part of why I liked phase one so much is like going back and watching it. Like, uh, it's kind of like when you go back and watch like the first Harry Potter movie where they're all like 12. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you That's watch them person. get older and granted, you know, these characters were already adults, but like if you compare the way they were to like what they are now and what they've gone through, um, there is that, that, I don't know. I just, I, I like the, uh, the innocence and to be able to go back and, you know, again, like, because that's kind of how it is in the like in comics like the character starts out and you know they're like i'm gonna be a hero and everything's gonna be great and then like a lot of bad stuff happens and they get like hardened and um yeah i mean i totally agree with that in uh terms of tony stark especially i don't know why that this was the first thought that popped in my head as soon as i started watching iron man the first one was uh wow robert downey jr's really aged a lot like i feel like now and I wonder if that's like a, obviously it's been 10 over 10 years so obviously he's going to age a little bit but at the same time though I wonder if that's like an active thing in the makeup department for Tony Stark itself like to show like all of the hardships like he started off as this like billionaire playboy with not a care in the world and now he's literally got the weight of the world on his so- shoulders so I'm kind of curious if that's like an aesthetic move on behalf of Marvel itself I mean I don't know if anyone else does anyone else kind of agree with that I mean Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I totally think that would be it. I I, per, I I totally think that would be an aesthetic move because you want you want to show that like again that like exhaustion and stuff coming through. If he just looks, you know, the same way he did at the beginning, it's you know like it changes a person. Oh and yeah, it, and it weighs on you, and like you do, you know, you do see that physically through other people. So I like that, you know. I, I think that that would have been a, a hopefully it was an aesthetic decision. If not, it just happened, you know, like we said with other stuff, it just happened to work out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do hope it's good. Uh, what did you have to say, Matt? Uh, I, was gonna, I think it's a bit of both. I think that for, like, for one thing, they definitely changed his, uh, his overall makeup and hairstyling from like the earlier movies to the later ones. But also, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is what, late 40s, early 50s. And he's keeping himself in shape to constantly keep doing these uh, these movies and this role. So, so I do think like part of it is an aesthetic choice. Like they decide they decide to change up the style a bit to make him look a bit better. But I also think that doing this for ten years has taken a toll on him. 
Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that's also probably why all their contracts are... Mm-hmm. I, except for Chris Hemsworth, who just seems to be like, I want to sign up for anything. But, it, I mean, his movies just got good. So I kind of feel like... I mean, but we can talk about that when we get to Thor. But So I would say that phase one is definitely probably next to the last phase, one of the more important phases out there, at least in terms of Marvel, because it starts everything, obviously. I mean, you have Iron Man. You have essentially the introduction to the initial six, which will be obviously following in addition to some other side characters through Endgame, which is really awesome that Marvel chose to kind of keep these guys around. And it really does kind of feel like a full circle device, which is amazing. But uh, Al, do you have anything else to add about phase one? No. Let's get right into it. All right, let's get into it. So we're going to start with Iron Man, the first film that started the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, So obviously Iron Man stars Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. And the... He's basically the, uh, I would say he's the leader of the Avengers. I know others would probably say Captain America, but I mean, he really is the brains and he started it. So uh, how about we start with uh, Matt? What did you think of Iron Man? Uh, I mean, Iron Man is great. Like no matter how much bigger and much uh, more complex the the stories for these Marvel solo movies get, Iron Man can always be returned to. I like how organically it brings its um, it, it brings the premise into this whole comic book sphere, like by starting it in uh, in Afghanistan. It, it's like a recognizable landscape that brings us into the uh, the Iron Man story, as mm-hmm. as it were. And I think it I think that did a really good job of bringing this to you know sort of terrain that's recognizable to audiences. And therefore, it's easier for us to understand the headspace of these characters. But honestly, like Iron Man begins and ends with Robert Downey Jr. He he crushes this role. He's con- he continues to get better at it. And if he was not as dedicated to, you know, his comeback and getting this role right, you would not have Iron Man, and you definitely would not have the MCU as you have it now. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, he was really born for this role. I, I mean, if there's ever an actor that should have been cast as Tony Stark. I could actually not think. And I know there is actually uh, Clive Owen and Sam Rockwell, who actually plays the villain in the second Iron Man, uh, one of the villains, I should say. Uh, they were both up for the role, uh, along with Robert Downey Jr. And obviously, uh, they picked the right choice. Uh, oh, oh, my God. Imagine we didn't have Sam Rockwell's Justin Hammer. God, uh, that is um, so depressing. Because uh, it's one of the best villain roles in the the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's the one that I wish would come back like the most. Yeah. Honestly, though, that meta aspect to Justin Hammer's character just makes me like him even more because he is like who Tony was almost could have been sort of. Yeah. Oh, I know. I love that. end. so we'll discuss it when we get to Iron Man 2. But I really do love the um, towards the end where uh, Hammer is showing off all his things and he's doing that dance kind of like uh, Tony does, which I absolutely thought was great on Sam Rockwell's acting part because he really does act like kind of acts like Robert Downey Jr., which is really cool. I I don't know. I really enjoyed that. Uh, but uh, so Rachel, what did you think of Iron Man? Um, it being the first, like I I feel like not not even just when you know the fact that it kicked this off, but you know we had some Marvel movies before Iron Man that are not associated with the cinematic universe uh, because they weren't very good. But 
Iron Man was a big deal to me because um, it was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, in, like in comparison to, you know, the previous like Spider-Man's and um, the uh, the Hulk movie with. Uh, what's his name? Eric Bana that came out before Iron Man. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, three. Yeah. Yeah. So like like we had those movies and then we got Iron Man and it was like, oh, my God, this is like the potential. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is what we wanted. Um, and so I was I was all about it. I, I thought that first movie was great. I um, I remember thinking like, you know, in in the movies, it does seem like Iron Man is more the leader of the Avengers. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's interesting that they started off with Iron Man. But the way that they did it ended up making a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and again, I liked it because I feel like it almost would have been predictable if they would have started with with Captain America. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh it does seem like a weird move that they've... I mean, it does, again, make sense. But at the same time, I like that the Captain America movie is called Captain America the First Avenger. But I feel like us as the audience has already gotten used to the idea that, well, isn't Tony Stark Iron Man the First Avenger? Because, like, you just think in terms of, you know, what you've seen in the movie so far. And it kind of throws you for a tad of a bit of a curveball. But uh, so, Al, what did you think of Iron Man? I mean it's what like 17 years later oh my am i losing my mind no it's like 11 years later sorry yeah i was about to say <laughs> 17 <laughs> movies 17 Jeez, movies 17 yeah you're movies, aging everybody out 17 movies <laughs> oh, exactly but yeah honestly like 11 11 years later and iron man one is still probably the most perfect mcu movie like from a script side acting um and overall literally it was the jumping off point for everything but it wasn't just that it is such a great movie that it's always in the top three lists for most critics in terms of the the mcu films and usually kind of number one up there um and it has every right to be because it is a great film from start to finish it does it's like relentlessly enjoyable from like beginning to end which is not something you see a lot in movies, you know? Yeah. Um, especially the, the MCU films where, you know, I love Thor Ragnarok, but like, it's long. It's a long movie. Is it? You don't, re- I, I you don't realize it. how long it is until you're watching it, but like, there's a lot, <laughs> gra- there's a lot of great parts in that movie, but it's not perfect. Okay. Iron Man is perfect. It is a perfect film. It is really. I mean, it's a great starting off point for, I mean, in terms of any successful like franchise like this, it is an amazing starting off point. I mean, they really got lucky because it's funny to think, but Iron Man really wasn't a huge superhero before all of this. Uh, that's why they actually gambled with his character. It, these are behind the scenes notes that I'm a nerd was, for, and I he was a D list. He was, hero. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like thinking about that, and now where he is, he's probably the most recognizable next to Captain America and all all of them. You know, in terms of like media stuff and toys, and it's just crazy to think that he was actually a D list superhero before 2008 when it's made or 2007. Yeah, I mean the comics. The comics try to to bring him into the forefront with like something like Civil War, but yeah. he was never like, you know, if you asked people pre Iron Man, like, 
you know, name a Marvel hero, they're going to say Spider-Man. Like, it's just, it was never like, he was never in the conversation, the Hulk, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Captain America. These have had adaptations before, whether it was like TV shows in the seventies or like, like one-off terrible movies, things like that. But like, he never had his, like, never had his time to shine. So yeah, I mean, it was, they... it was a gamble for sure. Yeah. They, uh, I, I also like thinking of that, it, I think what also probably made the movie more perfect is the amount of pressure that was probably on everyone working on that movie, especially Robert Downey Jr. of like, this movie has to be successful for everything else to work. Oh yeah. I mean, so I can, you know, I can only imagine like how hard they, you know, looking back on it, like how hard they all probably had to work because like the movie holds up and again, like, they knew maybe they didn't know exactly where it was going to go, but they knew that this needed to kick everything off. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I mean, actually an interesting tidbit about that is that, so while there was an insane amount of pressure for this film to do well, uh, the studio themselves and everyone involved actually start off really only focused on action scenes and, like introduction scenes they didn't really focus on the script as a whole so john favreau who is the director and also plays happy in the film uh tony's right hand man bodyguard whatever he kind of is he's kind of turned into like a buddy at this point um Mm -hmm. but uh he decided to let the actors kind of just improvise just do what you wanted to do um and jeff bridges who plays the villain uh in the film he actually was really nervous to work on this film because he is an actor that likes to know all of his lines and there really was no script for this movie at all when they started filming so uh he actually felt better about it once meeting john favreau and robert Downey jr and everybody because he said in quote that it was a uh million dollar student film that's how it (laughs) felt so that is kind of funny, but yeah, to think about how much pressure there was and actually how chill it was at the end of the day is kind of uh, an amazing thought. But uh, some points about Iron Man that I kind of just want to discuss really quickly. Um, one, am I the only one that can't really take Jeff Bridges as a villain seriously? I mean, I just keep seeing him as a dude, and I I can't be like, oh, wow, what a evil foe for Robert Downey Jr. I just keep looking at him like, all right, they're going to go bowling? Are they going to go have a beer? Like, what's happening right now? His, his motivation was not 100% clear. But yeah, I mean, like, I'm not even sure why he wanted Tony killed or why he went about the most convoluted way possibly of doing it. But I guess it's just, you know what, he he's bald, he's the villain, it's a shorthand, just uh, whatever. He, he, he makes a giant Iron Man suit and dies. It's a cool scene. <laughs> they drop they drop hints throughout the movie in terms of uh you know whether it's like voiceover or or like just like little moments between the two characters but like they 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 do set the stage for him like he he was always in the father's shadow and then the father dies and then he's basically in the son's shadow and he's like he never like is the face of the company but he really cares about just like money obviously like you know and i like the kind of twist ish thing of like you know we're kind of setting up the seven you know uh is it ten rings ten we're rings. setting up like we're setting up the mandarin it's these guys who are you know who are responsible and then of course it's revealed that you know it was obadiah stain which is probably my least favorite character name in any of the 
MCU so, yeah. films. It's pretty bad. <laughs> More than Darren Cross. Yeah. Sorry. I uh, I. I'm with you, Laura, and it's not it's not even that I picture him as the dude. I just like Jeff Bridges seems like one of those people that if you ever met him in person, he is probably like so nice. Yes. And I just him not being in like a nice kind of um, heroic esque role. I thought he did a great job, but like just because of who he is, I'm like, but he's Jeff Bridges, man. Like, yeah, I can't, I can't hate Jeff Bridges. <laughs> no, exactly. And I feel like that's awful, too, because I really hate like saying that about actors being like, oh, they can only really play like. But the thing is, though, like Jeff Bridges really is like one of the few celebrities I look at and I'm like, oh, he's probably like a hugger. Like he probably <laughs> gives gives his fans a hug. Like that's what he seems like to me. And like he's an amazing actor. Like I am not like to any fans listening right now. I am not saying that Jeff Bridges is a bad actor. He is so good that like I want to watch more films with him in it. It's just he just looks like such a likable guy. And I wonder if that's what they were going for to kind of make it more shocking that he in fact was the villain but to me as just an audience member of the movie like I just kind of felt like it wasn't a twist so much as it like even when he was a villain I was like oh that man just needs a hug like he just he's a good (laughs) hug and a rub on his bald head so like (laughs) so yeah um so that's about Jeff Bridges as the villain but another point in my last point about Iron Man is to talk about uh Terrence Howard as uh, Rhodey, uh, which I'm sorry, was such awful miscasting. Like he was so. You liked him. I said. I said. Oh. Oh. I thought, like, I thought someone was like. I thought someone was like bring back Terrence Howard. I was like, really? Oh, oh. no, no, no. Uh, but yeah, no. I just felt like he was very cocky in the role and i'm not sure if that was just terrence howard being i i've never met the guy obviously so i don't know if he's just a cocky person but like he played roadie like not that playful like he played it like i don't know i was kind of expecting him to be the villain with the way he was acting like i just really didn't like his energy i did not like the chemistry he had with uh robert dine jr i just felt like there really wasn't anything for them to play with and so i was obviously really happy that don Cheadle was cast uh, as Rhodey after that, but uh, do you guys have any thoughts? I mean, I'm not sure if anyone else kind of a has a strong stance on this whole Terrence Howard issue. I I always liked Terrence Howard. He, you know, Don Cheadle obviously has had more time with the role, so he's kind of grown into it a lot more. But I I guess the intent there was just that uh, Rhodey would be the the straight man to Tony's, you know, shenanigans and antics. But like like you said, the, the chemistry isn't totally there. But I, I was a little disappointed when I saw that he wasn't coming back. Yeah. I mean, I it's it sounds weird, but I feel like I just got used to it immediately that Don Cheadle was. And I'm not sure if that's just because I liked him as an actor. And I was like, oh, OK, well, this is a better. But I do honestly feel like he was a better fit. And it made me miss. Uh, like, because usually with like recastings, I kind of am bothered by them a little bit. Because I feel like it takes me out of the story. But with this one, I kind of. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Rachel Al, do you guys have anything to add with that? I mean, I'm not. I literally forgot a different actor played (laughs) Brody. Like, I had to, I just now had to take a minute and look it up on my phone. I was like, wait, what do you mean it wasn't Don Cheadle? Like, that's how much of a, no offense to Terrence Howard, but that's how much of a not impact was left in my brain. Like, the only person I could picture was was Don Cheadle. Um, 
And I, I agree with you. Like, I think, I don't think it was Terrence Howard's acting. I think the chemistry wasn't there. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it seems like Don Cheadle did the character differently too. Yeah. Like his approach was different. You know, he is still the, the guy who's like kind of calling Tony out on his shit and stuff like that. But I don't know the way he does it. It seems more like they're friends. Like, <laughs> no, I, I, I feel like, I feel like I didn't get the friend vibe. Yeah. I did not get the friend supposed vibe. to. <laughs> I, yeah. I got the very like competitive vibe, which I was like, I don't know if that's like the two actors. Cause another fun behind the scenes fact was Terrence Howard was the most paid actor on that film. It wasn't oh. even Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> oh, geez. Times yeah. have changed. Yeah, times have changed, my friends. Um, So I'm not sure if that might have been some underlying tension that we were witnessing. Um, I mean, obviously, these guys are professionals, so I wouldn't I wouldn't even honestly believe what I just said anyway. So, I mean, I I just felt like it was a very weird. And honestly, like rewatching this film, it took me out of the moment just a little bit because I was expecting Don Cheadle and I got Terrence Howard. (laughs) Yeah. So, um. But yeah, okay, so uh, that's rounding out Iron Man. So I guess we'll go to the next film, uh, The Incredible Hulk. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, Al's ready for this one. Well, <laughs> oh, clearly, it was a good. It was a good lead-in, Rachel. What you, what you were saying of like how you didn't even remember that Terrence Howard was, oh. was uh, you know War Machine or at least uh, in Rhodey at, at one point. I mean. Does anyone remember that Edward Norton was the Hulk? <laughs> no. no. Oh, Mark Eric amazing. Yes. Oh. I mean, it's, and I love Edward Norton. I love the casting. I thought it was great. I thought him and Liv Tyler had like decent chemistry. I thought he was, I thought he played maybe a better Bruce Banner than Mark Ruffalo's. Oh, I disagree. That, but if that oh, makes sense, because the, 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 he really like embodied the, I don't want to be this. I don't, I, I, this is, this is a, a burden. You know what I mean? And I, I yeah. feel like Mark Ruffalo really like, he does his best to, to get there, but like, you really feel it. Like you get, you feel sad for, um, for Edward Norton's Hulk, uh, yeah. for Edward, Nor- Edward Norton's Bruce Banner. So, but, <laughs> uh, the thing that's, that's sad to me is like they really set up this expanded universe at this point. So, you know, we really didn't get to talk about it. I, I mentioned it briefly, like the end of Iron Man, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury comes out and basically says like, you think you're the only, you know, you, you know, I am Iron Man. You think you're the only one. Uh, let me talk to you about the Avengers initiative, basically. So now we know the incredible Hulk's coming out. We're like, awesome. It's going to be Hulk and Iron Man one day. Maybe we'll see some more people. Great. And then we get to the end of Incredible Hulk, which is a decent enough movie. It's it's watchable. At the end, you see um, Tony speaking to to uh, Thunder Thunderbolt Ross. Is it uh, the best name ever? Yes, <laughs> great name. And I'm glad they brought him back. By the way, just to fuck like with every all the continuity. Yeah, <laughs> it's like one of their biggest Fast and Furious moments of like, you know what? Remember that guy that was in that movie that you don't remember? <laughs> We're bringing him back for like two movies. So, defense, William Hurt's really good. Yeah, William Hurt's awesome. So 
the, my point is, like, at the end of Incredible Hulk, you're like, awesome. Like, these two are meeting, uh, Tony Stark, Thunderbolt Ross, and we're going to keep this, this, like, this narrative going into the next film. And then by the time we get to Avengers, which we're not at yet, but like by the time we get to Avengers, two of the cast members are just straight up not in it. It's just yeah. kind of like crazy to think about, but at the same time, like we wouldn't want to have it any other way. Mm-hmm. It's strange. You go, Richard. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I am. I really, I'm, I'm with you, Al. I love Edward Norton. I was so excited that he was going to play uh, Bruce Banner and be the Hulk. I was like, this is going to be amazing. Like Edward Norton's the best. Um, and then the movie, like you said, was was decent enough. Wasn't great, but like I thought Edward Norton did great. And I do remember I was like really disappointed when I heard he wasn't going to do it anymore. Um, but kind of touching on what you said about how Edward Norton's Hulk, you know, you, you, you feel that, that sadness for him and like, he really doesn't want to do it. I, I almost feel like maybe that kind of, maybe that kind of Bruce Banner wouldn't have worked as well. I agree with that completely. I think that a a, a too sad of a Bruce Banner, while yes, that kind of fits with the comics. It's, and his story in general, it just doesn't fit in this Marvel universe that we've created. Like, I mean, I love Mark Ruffalo. I've been a fan of Mark Ruffalo, like, way before this movie. I think he's hilarious. Um, He, obviously, a lot of fans know that him and Tom Holland cannot be trusted with any spoiler whatsoever, (laughs) which is is great to watch. It's very entertaining. Um, But, so I feel like, I honestly feel like the Hulk would not be as likable if it wasn't Mark Ruffalo doing this. I mean, obviously if we're saying that we forgot that Edward Norton was the Hulk, uh, just like Eric Bana, I'm pretty sure no one has ever mentioned him as the Hulk. Um, I feel like Mark Ruffalo really made this role his own and made it really fun and made the Hulk something that people like wanted to watch in the movies. Um, Cause that was not a thing really. I mean, uh, Matt, do you have anything to add with that? Yeah, uh, so Edward Norton is one of my favorite actors to watch, and I would, and I strongly defended his uh, performance as Bruce Banner up until I saw Mark Ruffalo, and then I'm just like, okay, no, there's no contest here. I I think Mark Ruffalo really humanizes the character. I think he makes him a guy you want to like and a guy you want to root for. And I'll be honest, like rewatching the movie a couple nights ago uh, for, for this podcast. The, the more we've learned about how Edward Norton is on set, the more sense it makes as to how this movie goes and how he fell out of this uh, out of this role. Because, like, I honestly couldn't tell if he was deliberately playing him like I am uncomfortable in my own skin and I don't want to be here as in, like, that's how Bruce Banner would feel. Or if Edward Norton just did not want to be there because we know how... Uh, how much of a nightmare he can be to work with on set with people. And, and and like for that reason, I find that this movie, it's really hard for it to, to pick a tone. I I can understand why I want to feel um, sad for this guy. Like the movie does all the right camera tricks to show this is a, this is a moment of sympathy. This is a moment of, you know, sadness, but I don't really feel it with Norton specifically. I feel a lot more with just like the big ugly CGI Hulk that they have. 
Oh, so bad CGI. But yes, continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, by the time I see uh, Mark Ruffalo at the end of Avengers, it's like, okay, this was the right call. I, I love Edward Norton. I look forward to seeing him in other things. But goodbye from Bruce Banner. And, and we're better off. And just side note, if there was one character I would have brought back from Incredible Hulk, it's not uh, Thunderbolt Ross. It is uh, Dr. Stearns because Tim Blake Nelson is wonderful and I would watch him in anything. Yeah. And they, yeah. And they set him up to be the villain in the, in the next film. And then they're like, you know what? We're just never going to make another Hulk film. Yeah. It, it's weird because you can feel with this movie that they have an entire series of films, at least one sequel planned. And like you have, you have this Ty Burrell character who honestly steals the movie in like one scene with one confrontation with, uh, with William Hurt. And I, I could tell that there, there was going to be more with this guy, but we never got those movies. Yeah. I mean, they, they really did have like a whole thing planned for this. I mean, they had a three picture deal with Tim Roth, who played the abomination. Um, they had a, a three, I think it was like, a much larger picture deal with Edward Norton and all this stuff just kind of went down the toilet. And I mean, honestly, I feel like I wouldn't hate on this movie so much if there was like some continuity to it. Like, yes, I guess, you know, I get Thunderbolt Ross, which again, I hope to name my child one day, uh, <laughs> just, just so he's so cool through school for everything, uh, especially in college. I'm, I'm looking out for his best interest, but uh, I mean, there's just no, like nothing that makes me be like, oh yeah, that Incredible Hulk film is definitely canon to this universe. Cause it's not like, I'm sorry. I don't care what Marvel says. I don't care what the phase stage says. This movie is not canon. It has nothing to do with anything. I mean, it serves no purpose. Uh, literally the, the guy that played the Hulk in this film isn't even the Hulk like that we've come to know. Uh, I mean, if it just had anything, because actually in Age of Ultron, they were going to bring back Tim Roth as the Abomination. And he was supposed, yeah, he was supposed to be what the Hulk was fighting um, in his head when Scarlet Witch messed with him. Uh, which would have oh, been... Oh, that would have been cool. That yeah, would have been really yeah. cool. Like okay that, yeah, that would have made me respect this film more and been like, okay, yeah, definitely canon. Like, yeah, I should watch this movie, you know, when I'm doing, when I'm getting ready for Endgame. But... Instead, when I watched it, I just felt like I was watching an early 2000s Marvel movie. It did not feel like I was witnessing phase one of uh, Marvel, which is just really bugs me. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then another note too, uh, Betty Ross. Does uh, anybody remember that? <laughs> she exists, oh. all right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, Black Widow has taken that mantle. Uh, I'm not really sure what that was meant for. Uh, I think it was just another superhero film that needed some damsel in distress or vice versa. I don't know. I just, I, I am I always, not a fan of film. I always forget that Hulk-Widow romance is a thing until someone reminds me of it because it's that forgettable. It is that forgettable. Honestly, I thought her and Captain America were going to get together after the Winter Soldier. but uh, 100%. Yeah, but I guess that Marvel was just like, screw it. Guess what's the other main couple in this movie? I, I disagree. Why? What do you think? I disagree. I think, uh, Rachel, were you about to say the same thing or no? 
Oh, no, I was going to say that I I don't know how long we want to touch on it. I don't really like the Hulk widow relationship because like I don't well, I don't like it because I don't understand why it's necessary. Um, And to me, it's like she for a while, you know, she was the only female character so it's like, why does she even have to have a romantic interest? Like, just let her be. <laughs> yeah, I agree. What were you saying, Al? I, I disagree. I like the romance. I think I think it 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 starts it starts with their first meeting in in uh, Avengers, which we'll get to eventually, but probably won't touch on this little kind of moment. But like, I think they they like laid the groundwork for that relationship well, and they didn't. And it's like it's not. It's not like um, overpowering in the sense that, like, I think that's why you, I guess, forget about it. I feel like they they made it pretty natural. It doesn't seem like they're like kind of like shoving it down your throat. So that's why I like it. I think the chemistry between them is good, but that that could just, I guess, just be me. No, I mean, I I agree with you on the chemistry. I think it's there. I just, I also agree though with Rachel that I kind of don't think that she needed a romantic. I mean, and if she did, it would have been Captain America because I feel like they went through a lot in that and Winter Soldier, which to me is actually one of the top Marvel films. It's amazing, but I, we'll get to that next week. But uh, I I just kind of felt like it was just kind of really sh- shoehorned in there. And while, yes, I can see, like, rewatching the Avengers, I can see that, you know, there is some groundwork being laid down. I just kind of also feel like it just really wasn't necessary. It doesn't really serve the plot that much. And in Age of, Age of Ultron, I just kind of felt like it was very awkward in some areas. I, I think there's a solid idea for it in there. Like, you know, he's the most, everyone's terrified of him when he's big and green, but he's terrified of her when he's not. And, you know, there, there's a nice give and take there. But I don't know if it was the dialogue or just the pacing of the overall movie, but it, it just did not work for me at all. And every time they focused on it, it made that movie worse. And I really don't like that movie. Yeah. Well, well, I guess, you know, we'll see what happens with Endgame with that relationship. I mean, Mark Ruffalo has been asked that a couple times in um, interviews, and it's really funny to just watch his reaction because he's trying real hard not to spoil anything since, he's, <laughs> since he literally spoiled the ending of Infinity War and no one realized it. Uh, which which was all part of the plan. Oh, God, I just love Ruffalo, man. I, I want to give that guy a hug because I feel like him working for Marvel has made him so nervous. he's just not really great at this stuff so i think it's great um okay so after the incredible hulk and the fact that that movie was not great uh we have iron man 2 uh which is not an improvement at all uh (laughs) i uh so how about we start with al what did you think of iron man 2 i'm currently watching it in the background right now (laughs) subtitles on it's it's crazy i will i will I guess defend this movie for a lot. There's a lot of great things about it. I will always say that this is one of the worst of the MCU. And when I say worst, I don't mean it's a bad movie. I just mean it's a bad Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Because obviously, if I keep going back to it and rewatching it, there is great parts about it. I've previously stated Justin Hammer is amazing. Like 100% Sam Rockwell, born to play Justin Hammer. Because he's basically playing Sam Rockwell, so that's why he was born to play it. You didn't uh, love Mickey Rourke's really thick Russian accent. I was my, my board. 
Yeah, um, <laughs> we can just all do that at the end. That's how we should sign off, by the way. Um, <laughs> so you have Sam Rockwell. Then you have Don Cheadle, who we've been talking about. Like, this is his introduction. We, we've already we were introduced to the character of Rhodey. We now get War Machine, which is fucking like something that we've, you know, as comic book fans, as, you know, seeing Iron Man 1 and seeing the potential when Terrence Howard looks at the suit, he's like, next time. Like, we're like, oh, man, they're going to set up War Machine. And they, they do that in this. And, and I think they do it well. I like how he basically steals the suit and tries to, like, put it in the government's hands. And he sees the kind of the negative of doing something like that. Yeah. Um, when you get Justin Hammer involved, yes, Mickey Rourke's villain is horrendous. Um, <laughs> it's not good. It's not a good villain. It's not a good main villain, and that's why I feel like Justin Hammer is the main villain throughout the whole movie, and and uh, he's kind of a a, a, a pawn. Um, why is this movie so rewatchable? Well, you get uh, the introduction <laughs> of Black Widow. You get uh, more Sam Jackson. You get uh, your first real uh, your uh, your first. <laughs> I guess your second glimpse into uh, Phil Coulson, who is amazing as well. Um, there is so much to like about this movie. It's just too much in it. There's so much in it. And it, it really just kind of like combusts towards, yeah. you know, the middle and the beginning and the end. Yeah, it's definitely a messy film. Like it's, yeah. it's not I t to me, it was a filler film. It was it just the plot itself was boring. I mean, I could, I could see where they were trying to make it exciting. Um, and on paper, I think it is exciting. But to watch it, it just felt like a filler film. It felt like it didn't really serve the plot or push anything forward. Like, yes, we got introductions to obviously really important characters like uh, War Machine um, and Rhodey. I, I mean, obviously, we knew Rhodey from the prior film, but it's a different Rhodey with Don Cheadle. Uh, and Black Widow, uh with Scarlett Johansson, which is a role she's really amazing at. Um, it just felt like a really messy film all over the place. And you know what's weird is I liked what the intention was behind Mickey Rourke's villain. Was it executed well? No. But I enjoyed his... Like, honestly, I, this sounds so bad to say, but I liked when he was quiet. Like, I liked his facial, his facial, like, stuff. Like, I thought that was really funny, and I think he did a really good job with the body language. But as soon as he opened his mouth with those fake gold teeth and asking for his board, uh, it was <laughs> so unfortunate. And I just, I I don't know what to say besides, awesome, Sam Rockwell, you did a great job. I'm sorry you were in this film. Like, I wish there was more for you to do. Uh, but, uh, Rachel, what did you think? I Iron Man 2 was not I, I I agree Iron Man 2 was not great um the there was a lot of like really cool you know like I think like I was saying there was a lot of really cool like action scenes um and it was entertaining it was an entertaining t movie to watch again it's it's very rewatchable because it is so entertaining but like when you look at it from a critical standpoint you know like you guys are saying you're just like what what wait what <laughs> what yeah. just happened why did why is any of this happening like the plot is very jumbled you know like you guys said it seemed like they were trying to shove a lot into this movie and it was almost to me like maybe how we talked about a little earlier about, you know, their, their, the way that they planned everything out. And it's, I, 
thinking about it as I'm talking about it, I'm like, well, maybe they did all of this because they realized like, oh, we don't have enough time or we don't have enough content to make another movie. So let's just shove it all into this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like we got to make all this stuff happen and we need this, 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 like certain things to start laying groundwork and taking off. So let's just put it all in this movie. Like, <laughs> that's kind of how it, it felt. As a sequel, it diverts. It diver- yeah, it deserves so much better than what oh, it ended yeah. up getting. Oh, yes. Um, Especially as a sequel to the, how great the first movie was. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I mean, but I feel like you can't remake that kind of magic in a bottle that Iron Man have, especially with all the excitement that kind of surrounded it. Um, and I feel like, you know, this, the standards were a lot higher since then. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm surprised the Incredible Hulk didn't lower anything. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, Iron Man 2, definitely, I can't be like, oh, that's a better film. Like, it, it definitely isn't. I mean, and after this, you have Thor, which is unfortunate because it kind of continues that, like, oh, kind of mediocreness. Like, oh, okay, cool. I don't know. I... I'm not a fan of Thor either, but uh, Matt, what did you think of Iron Man 2? So Iron Man 2, I, I think it has two very specific ideas going on. Like, and they kind of introduce you to them both in the very first scene of the movie. On the one side, you have, it's kind of this what if scenario. What if world peace was achieved, but it is all dependent on one person? What kind of person would that be? And how much could that be maintained? And then on the other hand, and on the other side, which kind of, you know, supersedes the first one, it's Tony Stark is dying. What is he going to do about it? And I think the biggest problem with the movie is that it can never make those two actually good ideas for movies align in any meaningful way. And I think it really, uh, you know, screws up when it feels the need to capitalize on the newfound comebacks, uh, reclamation of Mickey Rourke. Uh, I, I think this is like right before, right after the wrestler. Um, but it's like, Hey, Mickey Rourke is bankable. Now put him in a Marvel movie. And I guess we'll just figure it out later. Cause whiplash is not a good villain. He's, nope. he, he's boring. He's really ugly to look at. And it's, and it does not really come together in the way that it wants to with this idea of like, you know, private privatizing world peace or uh, Tony's rapidly failing heart. But what I, but I do think this movie is defensible because, and, and it kind of feeds into what works with the staying power of the first movie mm-hmm. is the Iron Man movies are very much about the hero, but specifically Tony earning the power that he gets. It is very much about the discipline it takes to achieve this power, to get this suit and to, you know, to, to, to use it righteously. Cause it's, cause, you know, the first one is about him, you know, building the suit first, the Mark one, then the Mark two. And then this one is about him, uh, you know, finding the new element, synthesizing it. And, and, it, and you, and you see very much that, the making of process, the construction, the all, all the elbow grease it takes to get him to the culmination of his character arc, which isn't done terribly. It just isn't done in any meaningful way. 
and you know, by the time the the movie ends, by the time the villain is defeated, you do feel a certain sense of, you know, wow, glad that's over because there, and not just because it's a terrible movie, but just but because there is there is a sense of tension and there is a conflict that you do want to see resolved. And, and it's really, really just kind of a whatever movie, but I think it's, it's defensible. Is it in the low tier of Marvel movies? Absolutely. But I could kind of see where they were going with it. And as ugly and as messy as it is, the, the ideas are there and it makes it better than say, than like the worst of the worst Marvel movies, I would say. No, oh, yeah. I mean, nothing yeah. nothing tops the obvious Thor Dark World. So, uh, I mean, that's definitely the lowest of the barrel, bottom of the barrel, I would say. So, I mean, it it is a movie that, like, I agree, it's entertaining, but it's a filler movie at the end of the day. And oh, yeah. it's, it's just, not, it doesn't serve the plot in terms of how Iron Man served the plot and how all the other films besides The Incredible Hulk served the plot in terms of phase one of this I, I just honestly, when I was looking at the phase stages, I was shocked to see Iron Man 2 in phase one. I I just I assumed it would be in phase two, obviously. And I I just it just felt like a filler movie. I knew it was going to be a filler movie as soon as I saw it. I wasn't expecting it to be this remarkable film to come. I, I wasn't expecting it to be the Dark Knight of the Marvel Universe. So, um, I mean, but it still is charismatic in terms of Robert Downey Jr. is amazing as Tony Stark regardless mm-hmm. and he could just literally stand in front of a camera and say some lines as Tony Stark and it'd be like brilliant awesome great job um but yeah he, he's so in tune with that character he is I mean it and it's funny because apparently John Favreau felt that way too he felt that's why he casted uh Robert Downey Jr. because he felt that this the same life journey that Tony Stark was on was the same one that uh, Robert was too. So, I mean, that's really, to me, that's fascinating. Um, and it does add kind of layers to the character himself. I just wish that they explored, like, they, they had so many ideas that they, like, literally were like, we had the bi- like the most, like, uh, biggest success story of 2008, like, in a summer where The Dark Knight comes out, we, like, made a mark as a studio with this, you know, huge character, this, we've uh, made him an overnight success again as a star. And then with Iron Man 2, two years later, like, they literally threw everything in the kitchen sink into this movie, and it doesn't work out in their favor. Like, they, they're they like, oh, let's let's take this really famous run from the comics called Demon in the Bottle, where um, Tony is kind of coming to grips with his alcoholism. But let's just put a scene where he gets drunk and never talk about it again. Like things like that are just like super irritating to a movie that, you know, is that is... what the intent was? Yeah, of mm. course it was. Like that's yeah. just like a that's a, you know, he he is an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic in the, in the comic books. But you would know that if you were someone who would watch Iron Man two and just see, oh, he just got drunk at a party. Like there's no there's no there's no deeper rooted issues, and they could have probably played with that more of like, hey, guess what, the whole concept of iron man 2 is he's dying and he doesn't know how to fix it well lead it to alcohol and lead it to alcoholism and like do something like that cool yeah they, i, they I agree don't. they definitely could have gotten could have given a lot more of a deeper well i i even remember thinking like that's where they were gonna go and then like yeah. you said al it happens the one time and then you're like okay well that was neat i guess 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. So just that that's that's the problem. And like there's so many great things about this movie. I, I know we're trying to get to the next film, but just like like I said, I'm like watching it in the background now as you guys are uh you know conversing, um just trying to stay awake with you know, having a four month old is, yes, of is, course. is tearing you apart. <laughs> No, uh, he's but he's so, so cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's adorable. Squish anyway. his little face. I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but like, there's a scene where like we're at uh, Tony's house, and it's it's him, Black Widow, Coulson, and Sam Jackson, and you get a moment of like, this is going to be the future. Like we're seeing more of this. Their worlds are colliding, as George Costanza would say. Like that's awesome. Like things like that. You know, having uh, Coulson come in when. Uh, when Tony's working on the 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 new, um, basically the new uh, palladium, the new the, the thing that will uh, keep him from dying, and he he's like, hand me this thing. He's like, you know what that you know what this is, and it's Cap Shield, and he, yeah, he's like, yeah, it's it's exactly what I need, and then he just puts it under like some yeah. giant, uh, you know, tube or whatever, like, little little things like that. When he opens the property of Stark. Uh, when he opens the, uh, the the container, there's a there's a Captain America comic, like things like that. It's like, yes, the world is expanding. There's so much to so much to look forward to. And they I think they were thinking about that the whole time and didn't think about the present. They're like, we need to get to the next film. Yeah. And that's not like them now. Now they worry about singular stories. That's why you don't see a lot of returning directors anymore. Like this is John Favreau's second Iron Man. He does not return for Iron Man 3. He yeah, does not return for the Avengers, even though he launched this He returns this to act as Iron Man 3. What, what, say it again? He returns to act in Iron Man 3. Exactly. But he, ret- like, he does not, like, we don't get a lot of return directors. The only ones we do get are the Russos, and for good reason. And, and James Gunn. And James Gunn. Yes, mm-hmm. and James Gunn. And but also, uh, people at with least vision, before. People with, like, yeah. a specific vision. John Favreau is, like, um, he's like a Ron Howard. He can make a good movie. He doesn't have a vision. Like, he doesn't yeah. have a specific James Gunn or, or I guess, even the Russo brothers, like, straight-up vision. Uh, Nolan. Like, things oh, like that. Oh, and Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed, yeah. that's a, But he has a vision. I think Peyton Reed has a vision. And he did a great job with taking a, a script and a production that was already well underway and, like, making it his own. Like, if you watch older Peyton Reed films, like, didn't he direct, like, Bring It On? Like, that movie is so rewatchable and quotable and kind of has... Uh, stood the test of time because it, like, yes man it's, it's, yes yes man such a good oh, such an underrated movie i think he did uh, down with love too which is a great movie awesome Owen mcgregor movie if you guys ever get a chance to see it it's very like it's there's nothing else like it like definitely check that movie out but sorry big tangents this movie's yes. good it's just not good because they they really weren't focusing on making this movie. They were focusing on making the Avengers and you know, they had to build, you know, put all the pieces together to make that happen. This movie's jam packed with so much information because we need to get to the next thing. No, I totally agree with that. And also I wonder though, if this kind of, you know, messy storyline is just, you know, uh, the looks of a very fledgling company. I mean, Marvel really isn't what they were, isn't what they are now. And I wonder if Iron Man 2 just kind of shows that, that they were really starting something big and they've never had something like this in their hands. So I wonder if it kind of just shows that a little bit, that these guys are really new at it. And obviously now they own the market. So uh, it's kind of a cool success story if you watch this film and then now. (laughs) I also wonder how much of that has to do with going from Paramount to Disney. Yeah, well, Yeah. yeah. 
Disney knows how to make a good investment. Let's just say oh, that. Oh, yes. Uh, you don't become a trillion-dollar company and be dumb at <laughs> investing in things. Um, but, yeah. Uh, oh. Sorry about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Iron Man 2 is definitely just a film that is a filler film. It's not a great film, but uh, it definitely is not a bad film. It's just a bad Marvel film. Um, speaking of other not great Marvel films, Thor is the next film we are discussing <laughs> right now. Uh, I know some people have uh, some different opinions about Thor. I personally felt this movie was so boring to watch. Uh, I I knew it was trying to be exciting, um, but uh, it just it just wasn't. <laughs> I I agree. I that is a movie that I don't think about as existing. <laughs> it was it was it wasn't I I just I really wasn't a fan of it. It was like it's kind of boring to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's I honestly think the only good thing that came out of this film really was Loki, um, Tom Hiddleston. Uh, he is fantastic as Loki, uh, but it's just all the side characters were really boring. Uh, Natalie Portman, I, I'm sorry, but the worst female character probably in the Marvel Universe right now. It's just so boring, just nothing exciting. Um, and I honestly really don't, think about the side characters in this film too much mm -hmm. uh i mean i don't know al i know you said you kind of liked thor so what's your opinion on that um i think matt said the same thing like kenneth braha like really did some awesome world building and i i think i think with asgard this is the first time we get to see something off earth so he really had to build and him and whoever else was involved in the, the making of this film, like they really had to build this otherworldly place that was both familiar and completely new. Um, and I think it, it's a it's a good balance between the Asgard stuff and the Earth uh, the Earth scenes. I love the supporting cast because it's a weird eclectic. Like, why are these people in this movie? But it kind of works. Like, as um, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, so good, and he, he comes back in the Avengers. I think it's is it which scars guard is like there's 30 scars guards anyway stolen. thank you there's too many of them um <laughs> but then you have uh you know natalie portman and um what's her name who's amazing um Kat dennings. yes cat dennings she's so great she's a great comic relief in that film um and listen we got introduced to chris hemsworth in this movie like yes loki's amazing this it's main the main reason you come to this movie but imagine if we just never had chris hemsworth there's this movie that you don't like, uh, Laura. There's Thor the Dark World that you don't like. But yep. imagine we don't get Chris Hemsworth in Ragnarok. Like, he's a comedic genius. He's okay. phenomenal. Like, that's the thing you have to think about is this was a, 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 a stepping stone to get to that. Like, that's weird to think about, but it really is true. And I think um, I think it was cool, like, to, to see this whole other side of the Marvel Universe, um, you know, when, when uh, you know, uh, Nick Fury is basically saying, like, you think you're the only one, and then we get a, basically another Earth hero with the Hulk, who's not really a hero, and we don't see him ever again until the Avengers, 
and then we go right back to Iron Man. So this is the first time we're actually getting introduced to like a future Avenger. So I think it's a very important film in that. Is it a good film? I think so. I think I think it's a very watchable film. Um, it's definitely better than Thor: The Dark World, which we're not even covering tonight, and I'm pretty sure all of us has said it's bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, we're not even talking about that. Spoiler, film. spoiler alert for future episodes yeah, of this podcast. Not a good movie. But like Thor is good. I think Thor is a decent film. Um, but you guys can decide. Yeah, no, I I do agree. I I will defend Thor because it's one of the few Marvel movies that actually focuses on a specific character or getting a character from point A to point B through the narrative and you actually see a change in him. And don't get me wrong, Tom Hiddleston's wonderful. You'll never hear me complain about Tom Hiddleston, but I do think that Chris Hemsworth is an underrated uh, presence in this movie. I think he does the, uh, you know, the arrogant uh, playboy Thor in the beginning very well. I think he does the transition as he, you know, grow uh as he learns more from uh from natalie portman and, and learns how to basically not be an asshole and you know the scene where loki comes to him in a prison cell and says hey odin's dead and you're never coming home i i think he sells that scene very very well and i i buy his development by the end of it and i, th- I think chris hemsworth you know i as as much as i enjoy his uh, his comedic work in Ragnarok, and I think he's amazing in Infinity War. I, I really do like what he brings to the part, even in the early days. And going back a bit to what uh, what Al was saying about Asgard, as you know, rubbery and soundstagey as it all looks, it definitely has its own sense of identity to it. And I and, and they know how to light it, they know how to shoot it, and you can very much tell when you are on Asgard versus when you are on Earth, and. And I really like that about it. I like that Kenneth Branagh takes all of his knowledge of, you know, decades of doing uh, of doing Shakespeare, both in film and on stage, and brings that to these characters and recognizes something Shakespearean in these comic book stories, which I don't think another director probably would have gone for. And you, I can definitely understand the argument that this isn't uh, that it's not the best choice, and like doing it as a comedy was a lot better. You, I. I don't love Thor Ragnarok, but I do get where that comes from. But I really like what Kenneth Branagh sees in these characters. I like what he brings out in them, especially in their performances for Hemsworth and Hiddleston. And I I think that the film's narrative, specifically between Thor and Loki and the, uh, and the future of Asgard, especially, I think that it really holds together. And it's a very satisfying uh, third act uh, battle sequence. Yeah. I mean, Thor, again, like I would just say is it's not a bad film. It's a it's just not a great Marvel film. Um, and I feel like I'm going to say that about a lot of I'm going to say that at least about some films that I'll be talking about throughout the podcast journey. But uh, I I mean, like, yeah, it has great moments again. Like, I love Loki. I love Tom Hiddleston's performance as Loki. I think that uh I think it really sets up a great character and a journey that I am such a fan of in terms of uh, storyline wise. I mean, his character really does come full circle throughout all these films and it's, it's perfect. It's great writing for him in general Um, and great acting. Uh, But I mean, it just, and yeah, I, 
you know, from what Al said earlier, like, yes, I know we would need this film and yeah, Thor Dark World to get to Ragnarok, which I think is a great film. I know I, I'm such a fan of it. I'm mostly a fan of it because of the director. Uh, I say his name wrong all the time. Does anyone know how to say it properly? I don't want to. Uh, Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. I think that he is just, I think he's the reason why uh, Thor is amazing. I mean, yes, Chris Hemsworth himself is hilarious, has amazing comedic timing. But I think that if he didn't have a director like that, who is such an expert at, you know, comedy and timing and all that stuff, I think that, you know, it wouldn't have been the film that it became. And so, yeah, I mean, yes, you know, we needed this film to introduce Thor, but at the same time, I just don't think that this is a Thor that we love because it took a while to kind of perfect his character. Um, and I'm not sure if anyone else agrees with that, but I really kind of feel like his character didn't really shine until kind of the Avengers, but mostly it took until Thor Ragnarok mm-hmm. to really perfect it. I agree I, with that. I, um, I, I don't, sorry, go on. Oh, what were you saying, Rachel? Oh, I said I. I was saying just that I. 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 I agree with that. I feel like he really, he really shined in Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah. Um. And he was. Thor was good in Avengers, but it's it's like you were saying. It's like. I don't know. It's not like Chris Hemsworth ever did bad. Like he never did a bad job as the character, but it's almost like he was kind of figuring it out. Yeah. Like Thor's kind of a weird character compared to a lot of them. You know, like his dynamic, he's he's very like complex in a lot of ways. And you gotta find that balance of like being the great Thor and also being like a normal ass person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one no one knew how to write the character and he was always shoehorned in the in the Avengers films. Like no like literally in Age of Ultron, they're like, Go do go off and do that thing. Oh yeah. my god! And he's got that weird, like, whole, um, like, sees the future kind of scene that really never pans oh, out. Awful. It's like, awful. it's like, hey, it's basically, it's basically like, this is what Ragnarok's going to be. Maybe I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Go do that. Go do that. Um, just to speak one thing about what Matt said, and I don't know if this changes anything for you, Matt, but I just did some some googling, and Thor was one of those uh, unfortunate movies that was filmed in 2D, but then was converted post to 3D. That and I sense. wonder if that had anything to do with, like, the the sets looking like crap. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I, I, I do know crazy, what you mean. You know, like, I remember seeing, uh, God, what was it? Was it Clash of the Titans? I, <laughs> I can't believe I saw that in theaters, but I did. And I remember seeing it in 3D and like this is a post Avatar world where like 3D has like blown everyone's mind and no one knew how to capture it and still doesn't since. No one has done it since Avatar and Cameron. It's crazy. (laughs) I think that makes a lot of sense because like Asgard, you can definitely feel how fake it looks, even though I think it looks really good aesthetically. Um, but the battle scenes, especially on Jotunheim and with the destroyer in uh, New Mexico, it's just ugly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Thor, it's just one of those unfortunate movies. And it's, it's bad because when you talk about Thor, the film that everyone brings up now is Thor Ragnarok. That is the third film in this series. That's how bad the first two were. That <laughs> people point to the third film and they're like, oh, that's a 
that's a Thor film right there. Like, okay, but what about the other two that were also Thor films, you know? Uh, so it's kind of unfortunate in terms of the writers and directors for that, for those two, because they just aren't mentioned in yeah. terms of like, you know, discussions about the more important films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's just like, they're just kind of forgotten about. I mean, I wouldn't say they're like the Incredible Hulk forgotten about, but they're pretty forget forgettable. Yeah. Um, but unless we have more to say about that, we can talk about a not forgettable film, which <laughs> Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, I yes. have thoughts. So Agreed. Al, what are your thoughts? All right. I love this movie. I truly, I truly love this movie. It's another movie that if it's on, I got to watch it. Yeah. However, it does not have a good third act. It's a very, very rushed. It third is. Act. Yes. Yeah. Um, it has one of the best introductions to a character I think probably we've ever had, maybe right up there with with Tony Stark as Iron Man. Um, having him in the in in the, the Humvee, um, the the what is it, the fun bus, I think he calls it. And like the fun V. The fun V, there you go. So having him there. And getting you really just you learn instantly who this guy is. Cap's the same way. Um, I believe it's it's a it's a longer stretch because we need to get him from um, you know weird CGI skinny oh God, so Chris Evans <laughs> to a beautiful hunk that he becomes um, and is currently. So um, I really thought that that was going to bother me, and it didn't. Like it just he is so perfect for that role. Never has a, a character probably since Tony Stark has been like perfectly casted with Chris Evans. Um, but yeah, if, if we're going to talk about anything different, it would be, I believe, that the third act of this film. And then uh, Hugo Weaving phoned in this entire movie. Fair. He did. Yeah. And that's probably why he didn't come back. <laughs> yeah. His, that's why they got Rose, Rose uh, McQuad. Is that his? I don't know how to say his last name. The guy from. Uh, the guy from The Walking Dead. Guys, if you've never looked up his impressions, that's why they casted him as basically Hugo Weaving. I'm probably going to share it with you after this. It's phenomenal. Oh, that makes please sense. Do. Oh, um, please. I mean, and you know what's funny, though? Uh, yeah, I agree with that now after some time has passed um, that his performance, uh, Hugo Weaving, was kind of like a little phoned in. But uh, at the time, though, at least, you know what? Not at the time. Compared to the films before it, the Red Skull really is the first enticing villain we've gotten. Um, I mean, yeah, Loki, but I don't really view Loki as the villain of Thor. I think he was just kind of coming into his own in that film. Uh, I would say he's more of a a supporting character, more so than the villain. Um, so I would say Red Skull is actually the first enticing, uh, legitimate villain we've gotten Um to this point, obviously, it doesn't compare to the Avengers after this film uh, or Thanos or anything like that. But it's just, yeah, it's it's not a great, it's kind of, you know, it's it's a their performance. But compared to the other ones, it's like, oh, wow, this is a cool villain. Um, and yeah, I totally agree that Chris Evans, just like Robert Downey Jr. was born to play Stark, Chris Evans was born to play Captain America Steve Rogers. I mean, this is somebody that... Uh, if you look at his films before this one, he's known for playing a cocky, a cocky guy, like kind of a dick in some of his films. And ever since this movie, I cannot imagine him ever being like the bully or the jock type. Like he's just he's Captain America, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, Matt, what do you think? 
I, I absolutely love this movie. I, every time a new Marvel movie comes out, I post my new totally correct Marvel movie rankings, and I, I split into three tiers, the top, the middle, and the bottom. First Avenger is a top-tier Marvel movie. I We were talking before about how the directors don't come back. It blows my mind that they did not ask Joe Johnston to come back for this movie. I, th- I think he really did a great job with it. I I love that it's a great superhero movie by way of being a great war movie, and it puts the the second one first. I I absolutely love the uh, the retro nineteen forties look to the costumes, to the sets, to even like the, uh, the the grain of the film. Even it just looks so authentically different from any other Marvel movie, and not in an ugly way, and. Holy crap! The cast in this movie is like is fantastic. Like I, we can talk for hours about Chris Evans. He's born to play this uh, role as much as Christopher Reeve was born to play Superman. But honestly, Haley Atwell is a perfect love interest for this uh, for this series. Tommy Lee Jones is one of my favorite performances in the entire MCU. Stanley Tucci is unfortunately wasted in a part that does not deserve him. And like you said, Hugo Weaving. He, he phones it in, but he, he's a compelling villain. I, they do a good job with the makeup. And it, it's just such a fun movie to watch. I Plus, it has a musical number. What more could you possibly want? Yes. I mean, I also want to just throw in there Sebastian Stan as well. Uh, he is a fellow Rutgers grad, so hey. Uh, but <laughs> he... Uh, is amazing as Bucky Barnes. Um, I know he didn't really get that much screen time in this movie. Obviously he has a bigger story to tell in the universe wise. Um, but I actually liked his chemistry with Chris Evans over uh, Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter. I felt that there was more, and I'm not talking, you know, like romantic chemistry. I'm talking about just screen chemistry in general. Like they really know, knew how to play off of each other. And I loved it. Um, and obviously you see that, pay off more in Winter Soldier and, you know, uh, Civil War and Endgame. I mean, it's great, but Sebastian Stan really kills it as uh, Bucky Barnes. And by the way, if they do not make him the next Captain America uh, after Endgame is over, I there is so much foreshadowing of him. Mm, like, it's probably going to be Falcon Cap. Oh, That's but, my thought as well. Uh, but it's, I know, but at the same time, though, then that just means that all of this foreshadowing, rather, it was just a giant wink to the comic books, which, okay, I get it. But even in this film, they have him holding the shield. Like, literally, they've had him hold the shield in every single film I think he's been in. And I just think that's, like, at that point, it's less than a wink. It's, like, now it's, like, beating us over the head with it. Uh, <laughs> that, like, yes, he was Captain America at one point in the comics. Like, we get it. Now just make it happen or just stop talking about it entirely um but uh rachel what did you think of this movie uh of what of Captain america this movie oh okay sorry it like it sounded like you said something completely different and i was like wait what did she just ask me (laughs) sorry um i i i loved the first avenger um i i loved chris evans um i am terrible with actor name actor and actress names um who played peggy i i thought she was great like everything about that movie was great and i think uh, as as depressing as it is i think one of my favorite parts of that movie is the ending where he or yeah where he you know they 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 he wakes up and 
she's gone. Like, you know, all this time has passed. And that was like really sad. Like that was a really sad thing to do (laughs) (laughs) at the very end of the movie. And I don't know. I feel like, you know, Captain America is the, is the, the good boy. He's the, he's the, the lawful good. Um, but he's the, he's probably the character that like a lot. I feel like he goes through the most in a lot of ways. Um, Over I don't know. His is like his is his is different. But I feel like his story immediately starts with loss. <laughs> um, How so? It's more well, meaningful. No, I I think what Rachel's saying is like it's it's. Like, do you, does anyone remember that Thor's mom died? Like, that's sad to say, but like, does anyone remember that? Yeah. Yes, because that's the one great scene in that movie. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but what I'm saying is like, it's the things that make Thor Thor, I don't feel are his tragedy, tragedy and, and loss. You get that one scene in, in, um, in Infinity War where he's kind of going over all the things. You're like, oh yeah, he has had a hard life. But you know Cap's hard life. Because it's so ingrained in his DNA that he lost the love of his life, he lost his best friend, and he really can never get them ever again. And in in either way, it's like he's a man out of time. Like you, there's so many so many nuances to that character that really stick with him throughout the journey, and it's all introduced in this film. See, I guess I guess my thing though is like. I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, it's now knowledge that I have from watching all of these films, but he really didn't lose his best friend. Like, the only thing he lost, I guess, was his love of his life, which I get. Like, but at the same time, though, he starts dating her granddaughter, I guess, which is kind of weird. <laughs> um, so, like, I feel like, yes, while his story did start off with loss, Thor's story just continued with loss. And, I mean, it could just be the Russo brothers writing in Infinity War that made it so amazing when, yes, you are reminded. But I think that's what makes it even more painful, that you are reminded. And it's because Thor is kind of a silly character at the end of the day. Like, he's kind of a comedic relief now. So when you're reminded of all this awful things that happened to him, you're like, oh, my God, how is he still laughing? How is he still making jokes? Like, this is... This is awful. So I, I honestly, I think Thor is a more tragic character when comparing the two because it kind of feels like uh, Rogers kept getting more and more stuff. Like things he lost, he's getting them back. Well, Thor's never going to get any of it back. So even if you know there's a whole time travel aspect with Endgame, whatever, he's still never going to get any of it back, which kind of sucks. Um, and I know. Oh. I've been bashing on his films a lot, but uh, I still like the guy. <laughs> True, but I don't know. Like, he's become a comedic really. I don't know. There's something just like, I I love this this Captain America and, and Chris Evans as, as Captain America slash Steve, Steve Rogers. But there's, I don't know. When I watch the first Avenger, when I watch the Avengers, when I, when I see Captain America, there's something, I don't know, maybe it's just me. There's something like tragic about his presence. Like when I think about him and the way that he makes decisions and the, like how seriously he takes them. And I don't know, there's, there's just something about the way that his character is that like, just, he seems like such a tragic hero to me. I don't know what it is. Like I said, maybe it's just me. But. No, I, I agree with him being a tragic character in the beginning. 
I just don't know if I agree with him being a tragic character now, like still. Uh, I feel like he's gained a lot of things. Uh, he has more perspective on certain stuff. Like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like he definitely fits into his role better now. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't view that role as tragic anymore. I, di- I definitely could see where that's coming from in the first Avengers and his first film, 100%. But in this, I just, I don't, I, I mean, a- a- as of now, I just don't see that, you know? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, but yeah, so from there, obviously, uh, after Captain America and when he wakes up into modern day New York, uh, we are introduced essentially to the Avengers initiative uh, or the Avengers film by the amazing Joss Whedon, mm-hmm. um, which I love Joss Whedon. I am a huge fan of his. Uh, I actually feel like I see a lot of parallels between some of the stuff he's done and the Avengers. Um, and I'll discuss that uh, specifically about Loki. Um, I feel that he actually is like another character that Whedon has wrote. And I think it's perfect. I'm not saying that it's bad that he did this. I just, I see a lot of elements of Whedon style, which I will discuss. Um, but so let's start with uh, Al. What did you think of the Avengers? Uh, I love the Avengers. Uh, I wanted to, before we jump in, I wanted to just note one thing that um, Cap, uh, the first Avenger, is actually the first like downer ending of any of yeah. the Marvel films. Oh, so, that's, why, that's yeah. why like it sticks out so much to me. Yeah. Like, and then so, sidebar, sidebar on that real quick. I'm sorry, I don't mean to, to cut you off, Al, because I want to hear your thoughts on this movie. But like, just because Laura mentioned, you know, that he wakes up. How terrifying would that be? That was crazy. <laughs> Yeah, the way, the way they did it too was actually really scary. Yeah, did it? Yeah, where he's listening to a, a game that he was at, so he knows that it's a recording like that. That has to be kind of freaky. Yeah, which so. he figures out in like ten seconds, which I have to call a bit of bullshit on. Yeah, I know he was a uh, very astute. For <laughs> for someone that just woke up out of a coma. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, someone didn't that. do their research, though. Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess the super soldier serum really uh, keeps those brain cells sharp. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I, for one, would be like, where the hell am I? I wouldn't be really yeah. listening to what's on the radio. <laughs> um, yeah. But so, uh, yeah, thoughts on the Avengers, Al? Yeah, I mean, like like I said, this was the culmination of, of all of these movies. Everything we've been, like, wanting as comic book fans to see done right on the big screen. I don't think anyone could have introduced the first cinematic superhero team other than Joss Whedon. Like they really were like, like this is the guy. It's the only guy. It's well, you needed guy. a big nerd to do it. You needed yeah. like a huge yeah. nerd and Joss Whedon is a huge nerd. But more importantly, you needed a strong writer. You needed someone who's like, I need to, introduce these characters who have already been introduced. I have to introduce new characters and I have to kind of also give them equal screen time for the most part, as well as uh, set up a reason why this should exist in the first place. Cause that's a big, a big plot point of this movie is they do not belong together. They are, they're brought together. That's a great like aspect of it. And, uh, and it's a reason I think age of Ultron kind of, um, um, is never looked at as uh, you know uh, as good as this film or as you know as a great sequel is just that they don't have that aspect of it even though you brought everyone bra- back you brought up you know you brought Joss Whedon back the, the the whole plot of Age of Ultron is just hubris it's just like we've perfected this now 
I'm going to use my intellect along with this guy's intellect and, you know, put, you know, an umbrella all over the world and just have everyone saved and we can just sit back and relax. Like we got this covered. We're good. So with the first film, the whole point of it is it really didn't matter what the attack was. That's why Loki being the, the villain, um, you know, or the, the Chitari or whatever, like that didn't matter because the whole reason you're watching this film is like, what are these people doing together in the same room and why? And yeah. I love that aspect of it. The, the banter between, um, everyone, but like the, the, like th- that you, uh, see that Tony hates Steve the moment that he walks in because of his father's love for him, which is kind of, uh, you know, played more upon in civil war, but like little, like little things like that, how Thor is just looked at as like, you know, he's, he, he's, Tony's making jokes about him because he's like, he can't believe that this thing exists. Yeah. Like things like that is great. And then also the shield aspect, the shield aspects crazy because like we have now, um, we were introduced in shield and Iron Man one, uh, we got little glimpses of it in other movies, you know, obviously the most in Iron Man two, um, you know, they're a huge aspect of this movie. The whole opening scene is them. And like, I love that because more of Sam Jackson, like I'm totally fine with and Coulson and, and, uh, you know, uh, Maria Hill, like, give me more of that. Cause they're the civilians who now have to deal with these crazy assholes. Like I love <laughs> that. Yeah. They, he really made a perfect film. There's probably problems with it. There's probably pacing issues, whatever, you know, maybe looking back, some of the costumes are kind of screwed. Like yeah. costume is horrible in that movie, but yeah. like things like that you can overlook because it's like, this guy did it. Like he, you really did it. And you watch a movie like justice league and you're like, Oh, that's not how you do it. <laughs> you yeah. have to do it like the Avengers because that's how you do it. That's no. sorry. Sorry. I mean, no, no, no. I just, Joss Whedon, this definitely is like a Joss Whedon film. Like any, everything about it, like you can tell the tone, the jokes, like, I mean, and that witty banter, like that is a Joss Whedon thing. Like in everything he does, he has his characters have some sort of witty retort or something back and forth, which is amazing. Um, and I really don't think that it would be the film without without Joss. I mean, he actually, this is a fun fact that I learned today, that he is the reason why Thanos is part of the universe. Uh, originally, Marvel just wanted Loki to be the villain. And Whedon went in there and was like, that doesn't make sense to just have him be the big villain. And there's no motive behind it besides the fact that he wants to be a ruler. Like that doesn't, that's not compelling enough. So he told Marvel that you need someone behind the scenes. That's a puppet master. You need someone that is a real big bad that is behind all of this. And he was like, why don't we do Thanos, the mad Titan? And Marvel was just like, okay, let's do it. If you think this is going to work, like let's, let's go ahead. And his decision to do this has literally made like the huge mythos behind, you know, the early Marvel stuff. Um, I mean, it's gotten to gotten to the point where, you know, we're all waiting for Endgame right now. So, I mean, it's that to me is just incredible and shows how much of a genius he is. Um, besides the fact that this is a great movie. I mean, he literally took such great care with this film to not only think about the movie singular singularly, but think about it in the future while also telling a not a messy story like it all was made sense you know it's not an iron man 2 it's this is how you really do it um uh rachel do you have any ideas on the avengers i i mean 
you guys pretty much covered everything. <laughs> um, I just like, I, I, I really liked it. I, uh, like, like Al brought up the, the banter between all the characters was great. I liked the dynamic of like, they're, they're all figuring it out. Like nobody knows what they're, they're doing. Like not only have they all just kind of gotten used to their roles as heroes, but now, they're heroes that need to work as a team. Like, um, and I feel like the Avengers was nice because, uh, it also got to have that extra spotlight on characters like Hawkeye and black widow who still don't have their own movies for some reason. Um, black widow's getting Oh, that's right. Oh, finally freaking forever and a day later, but <laughs> yeah, but better than than not at all but um yeah the just the the way that that movie was done again like you were saying out i'm sure that there's complaints that could be made about it but like when i think about that movie when i watch that movie like i personally have no complaints <laughs> i thought it was great i thought the characters like did well together um you know, we were talking like we were talking about earlier and especially with Thor, I feel like he kind of started to. Again, Ragnarok's definitely like his his great thing, but I feel like in the Avengers, you started to kind of see that character becoming who he was going to be. Um, it was a really good like starting point for for everyone, you know, as like their first movie together. Yeah, I mean, like you also have the uh, he's adopted line uh, by Chris Hemsworth, which is uh, I forget if that line was improvised. I think it was. Um, but if not, then that makes me even happier about Joss Whedon, because I feel like he then saw potential in Chris Hemsworth and slash Thor and was like, I got to give this guy funny lines because mm-hmm. he's obviously amazing comedic talent. Um, which I feel like you would not think by looking at Chris Hemsworth. uh which is not to like say, you know, I don't know. He's just very surprisingly hilarious. Yeah. Uh, which makes me so happy. Um, well, and yeah. and even when you just think of the character of Thor, you're like, he's not, he's not the funny one, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I like that. I like that they did that with his character. Yeah, not at all. Uh, so uh, Matt, do you have anything to add for the Avengers? Uh, yes. Uh, so here's one of my Marvel hot takes. Uh, this is the best movie Marvel has made or ever will make. I, I think it's absolutely exceptional. Um, I'm going to borrow a lot of this from a really great YouTube series called Really That Good, so bear with me here. But um, I, I I think Avengers is amazing. I think it not a single scene goes to waste. The dialogue between the characters is just as special as the action scenes and equally as creative I think it does a really good job of kind of being like a microcosm for all of phase one up to that point. And that's why phase one is so rewatchable to me because everything from the start of the first Iron Man all the way until the very end of the second act of the Avengers is all about that one central and the Avengers movie especially is all about that one central question. Is this idea going to work? Can you take all six of these heroes, bring them together and make it into something positive, make it into something good and I think it succeeds completely because it knew, because it understands that it has to bring them together 
uh, rip them all apart and then bring them back together when they know they need to uh, unite. And then just the third act is a massive party celebrating that success. It's just a whole bunch of really cool stuff that everyone came to see. And, you know, every single action beat is great. There's teamwork. The uh, th There's this one shot in the middle of the fight that shows every single one of the Avengers, you know, starting with Hawkeye shooting an arrow, going all the way to uh, Thor and uh, Hulk taking down one of the whale things. And it, it's just incredible. I never get tired of rewatching the Avengers because I'm always invested in that conflict, in that in, in that suspense and that tension of we don't know if this is going to work until it does. And then once it pulls off, once it pulls it off, it's just the greatest feeling of payoff that you invested your time into what is it, four or five of these movies plus the Avengers, and it's just everything it had the potential to be or that it was promising from the very start. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a really important film. I, I don't know if I would say it's the best film uh, Marvel has come out with. Uh, I have not seen Endgame yet. Uh, I also thought Infinity War was really, really awesome. Um, Infinity War is one of my top tiers, but like I have issues with Infinity War. Like there, there's what I, I, there are scenes in Infinity War. I'm just like, okay, this doesn't necessarily need to be here. I think every scene in the Avengers has a purpose. It drives the story forward and it's always fun to watch. There's no like dull moments in it. In Infinity War, it, it's just like one underneath that for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would definitely say the stuff in the Avengers is a lot more, I wouldn't say high stakes, but it definitely serves a purpose. And it's very like, it's also a really important film in terms of this is the first time anything like this had been done. Um, at the time in terms of like real life cinematic stuff and that is so cool because like now you can't really think of a world without that uh, kind of superhero uh, fantasy kind of stuff um, but a quick note too just on my uh, Joss Whedon thing uh, so I felt that the character of Loki was surprisingly very similar to another character that Whedon has said many times was one of his favorite characters to write about um i'm not sure if anyone else here is a buffy the vampire slayer fan um yes. okay uh, <laughs> i felt loki was actually very similar to spike uh in terms of story wise storyline um yeah oh, i mean yeah i can see that you don't really see it in this film because he's not quite an anti-hero yet but mm. as the film as the films itself progress and Loki himself progresses, he starts off obviously as a very uh, supervillain character. Uh, he's the one that gets the Avengers all together in the first place, and then he ends up trying to like save the world. And you know, obviously, we know what happens to him. I'm not gonna. Uh, I can just, you know what this podcast is full of spoilers anyway. You know, he ends up getting his neck snapped by Thanos, but uh, <laughs> it's it's very interesting to see in terms of lines that were written for him um, and definitely direction-wise what Whedon was giving Tom Hiddleston, uh, I just felt like Whedon has said so many times that Spike was his favorite character to write for because uh, the story was really compelling. Uh, he started off as a real villain to become a hero in his own right. And I kind of felt that's exactly where Whedon was leaning towards with uh, uh, Loki, and Spike. Uh, so I don't know if that is just coincidence, but I don't think it is because I think Whedon really thinks about what he's writing, uh, what he has written. Um, I think he's an amazing writer, as we've said, you know, to begin this. Uh, 
he's a strong writer. So I don't know if that is kind of a weird connection to the Buffyverse um, in terms of writing um, and storytelling. But yeah, I just kind of felt that that was something that kind of needed to be thrown in there. Um, but yeah, the Avengers film, though, while I never get tired of watching it, um, I do feel like it's odd watching it now uh, after everything that has happened um, up until this point, like with Infinity War. And it's weird watching this film and seeing the threat that it's Loki and then being like, wow, that threat was really not that big in terms of like what we're at stakes with now. So, I mean, I don't know if anyone else kind of has thoughts about that. Um, uh, I would say the threat's definitely not as big, but... I, I feel more invested in it here than I, especially than I do in Age of Ultron, and a little bit more. Actually, I, I might be a little bit more invested in Infinity War only because it has the benefit of you know ten years of buildup. Yeah. But I, I like that it's not necessarily about caring about you know is Loki going to you know destroy the world and because by the time it starts you're pretty certain he's not, but it. It's just about getting these characters to team up the way that both the comics call them to and that the threat demands that they do or else it's game over. And, you know, even if it's not the biggest threat, even if it's not, you know, a, uh, a country being levitated to become a giant meteor, it still has that tension. You can feel that as much, as much fun as you have watching the Avengers, you know, uh, uh, fight all the Shatari you can see that there is uh, tension still there. That if they don't close the portal, eventually that they are they, they can't keep fighting these things forever. And you know it, it does that battle in a very in a really great way where it starts out and it, there's so much energy and fun and creativity to all the combat. But then like you know mid midway to like two thirds through it, you start seeing like okay the they're quickly becoming overwhelmed. They have to find an exit strategy, or this isn't going to go well for them. As much fun as I'm having here, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely very important, and it's a great story to tell. Um, I just, it's just to me, it's just odd rewatching it. Yeah, no, I, I see what you mean. Um, but yeah, so uh, not sure if anyone else has any more points to make um, about oh. the Avengers. I, I will say the the one thing that I do have issue with it is that Whedon kind of does this thing where he boils all the central characters down to like a single quality, which isn't necessarily bad. Like Thor and Hulk and everybody, they still work, but Tony feels bizarrely uh, regressive compared to the character development he did over Iron Man one and two. It's just kind of like his recklessness is all he is. And, you know, he, he does get to kind of uh, grow beyond that with the sacrifice play he makes at the very end. But it's hard to believe that the guy who was traumatized by seeing soldiers killed with the weapons he made to protect them would be, you know, poking and prodding Bruce Banner to unleash the Hulk uh, just for the lulls, really. Yeah, no, I agree with that, too. Um, but I feel that was kind of just made for... I think they had to kind of have more comedy, I guess, in this movie because it is a Joss Whedon flick. Uh, oh, he's a real big... yeah. So I wonder if that was just kind of added in there for that. Uh, I feel like the, I feel like he just gave them all uh, like archetypes, like classic storytelling archetypes, like um, you know, Chris Evans, Captain America was the you know the leader, and then you have uh, Tony as like basically chaotic, like a chaotic kind of person archetype, whatever you want to say. Like he literally had to 
given what he was given. Like I have to, I have like six characters. I need to give them all a different personality or they're going to blend together. Yeah. You know, yeah, definitely. Um, and one thing I'll note too is, and you know, we keep jumping back and forth through like looking at this through the lens of infinity war and, you know, and I, I say the real Avengers three, which is Captain America civil war, like looking at like that lens, like, it's crazy to think that yes, Whedon was the guy to do this, but I would not want Whedon in anything else after this. Yeah, I wouldn't. I think yeah. it's, it has its own tone now, and yeah, he was uh, a one and done director for one and done writer for this. Yeah, he can maybe was, come back as a director, but like uh, McFeely, um, McFeely and uh, Marcus and McFeely are the voice of the MCU at this point in terms of the the, the collective MCU. Um, the the Avengers films going forward, I would only hire these guys. They nailed it. If any team up movie, they have straight up nailed it. Oh yeah, no. I mean, like I'm I'm perfectly happy with where it was. I was very sad when Joss was leaving, but at the same time, though, I think he knew that he was leaving to kind of make the universe this greater thing than what he could possibly make it. And um, and obviously, you know, he's a director and he's a creative mind. He wants to do other things. I, I don't put that against him. But I am happy, though, that he did give us this film and that he gave us Thanos. He is the pushing point behind getting Thanos to be in these movies. And I think he's a great uh, villain for later movies. I think he was a great buildup, especially in this film. Yeah, definitely. Great. Uh, Rachel, do you have anything to add before we kind of move on? Um... Just that, you know, again, I, I agree with what you're saying, that it was kind of a one and done. I felt like, I mean, pretty much like you said, I felt like he <clears throat> he needed to do this first movie because of, like, the tone he took and the way he went about it. But with the direction that they took everything, I also agree that, like, like I don't think Joss Whedon would have made a bad movie, but I don't think it would have gone the way that it did. And I really like the way that it went. So, yeah, it was something you could tell. It was something you could tell that he had a lot of pride in doing. Yeah. Like this is something that he wanted to do and make it good. Yeah. So that makes then, me happy. And then Age of Ultron almost killed him. Yeah, and then Age yeah. of Ultron almost put him in the grave. So <laughs> he really hated that one. He hated that movie. It's so great. Um, all right. Well, to kind of start to get to our own personal end game of this podcast uh i want to talk about what did everyone think was the best film the worst film and then the most important film of this phase which i have said many times your favorite film can be very different from what you think is the most important um so let's start with uh matt what would you say was the best film of uh, this phase? like i said avengers is the, the best marvel movie we have and probably ever will have yeah uh, Al, what did you think was the best film? Oh, I disagree with that so much, but I can't argue with it right now. I'm too tired. Um, <laughs> it's it's great. Uh, I, I do love that movie. Uh, Iron Man, obviously, it's it's the most important because it starts it all off. You know, we uh, we could have eventually gone to Avengers, but without Iron Man to to set the tone of this universe and to 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 show the world that superhero movies can be good and so stars you... and stars could be drawn to these movies and not unknowns and not, you know, uh, uh, character actors or anything like that. Stars would want to do this uh, for the rest of their careers is, is a very important thing because before that you have Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, you have an unknown Hugh Jackman as 
uh, Wolverine. Like you have to really think that with Robert Downey Jr. and his instant star power from this movie, he attracted so much talent to the MCU where now we can't even fit them all in a poster. It's insane. So yeah. it's such an important film. So you would say, is that the best film then or the most important or both? That is, it is the best. It would be the most important. And then the, uh, are we saying the worst yet? Or are we just doing best? Uh, we, I was just doing best first, but it looks yeah. like you covered both best and important. <laughs> yeah, best and important would be, uh, would be Iron Man. Uh, uh, Rachel, what would you say was your, the best film for you? Hold on. I just shoved a burrito in my mouth. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't what? expecting Al to finish so quickly. <laughs> I hope um, okay. a good burrito. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good now. Um, the, in my opinion, what I felt was the best film, like what I, the film that I liked the best, I'll say it that way, um, was incredible. <laughs> no, <laughs> was Captain America. Okay, that's that's the one. That's the one that. Um, stuck with me the most um and just appealed to me so that's why like that is the one that i like the best yeah um for me i would say the best is actually the the avengers to me i was so excited when i saw that film and to this day i still get kind of excited when i see it because i just know what it started i know you know the whole just the universe that it's really created so i think that is the best film to me uh i'll start off with the worst uh was the incredible hulk uh that is not canon that is not part of this uh <laughs> this this phase at all i don't know why people say it is it bothers me um yet we still had to cover it uh nothing mm -hmm. against edward norton nothing against anyone involved in that film it just it is no mark ruffalo and it is no marvel film to me uh matt what did you think was the worst film uh it, it's no contest it's the incredible hulk it it just sticks out like a sore thumb. It can't pick a tone. It's really ugly CGI. It's, yeah. it, it just doesn't come together ever. It's great that the villain is called the abomination since the CGI was too. So that was savage, Laura. <laughs> I'm really proud of my zingers tonight. Uh, the only, the one that I had, uh, Al, what did you think was the worst film? I guess I guess you guys are uh, pulling my leg and uh, making me decide on Incredible <laughs> Hulk because, like like I said for most of this podcast, I will literally watch Iron Man two anytime it's on. So yeah. it can't be yeah. a bad movie if it's if it's something I will constantly rewatch. And also, so, it serves a purpose too. It's not. It like, does serve a purpose yeah. as much as it, it it serves too much purpose. Honestly, in some ways. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say. I guess. I guess. It's it's sad because I remember really liking that movie when it came out, Incredible Hulk, and getting excited to see them like team up one day eventually in the future. But it just doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't like it's not a film that you need to go back to. You could skip it. It's a movie you could skip because you can literally watch the the end credits to see Tony interact with Thunderbolt Ross. Um, the only time that that movie is mentioned ever again is um, one scene in. Uh, it's the, the scene in Stark Tower in the Avengers where Tony's basically watching footage of the attack in, I guess it was Brooklyn? That, Harlem. That, that, Harlem. Har sorry, Harlem. Harlem. They mentioned it like six times. Yeah. That's all I know. And he's like, Ruffalo uh, does I, reference I, it once. Yeah, yeah, he does. I broke Harlem or whatever. Yeah. Was Mark Ruffalo. Was the only you, you see him watching movie. the footage of that film. And if that's the only thing that's tying it together, I mean, it's not needed. It's not. Yeah. 
Uh, Rachel, are you going to join our bandwagon or? Oh, yes. hundred percent. I, I, like I said earlier, I love Edward Norton. Edward Norton could not save that movie. (laughs) Edward Norton and his, you know, amazing acting abilities that unfortunately does not make it a good film. It's again, it's forgettable. It's barely even I wouldn't have even realized that that was a tie-in, Al, until, like, I didn't even think about that. I yeah. just, I didn't, I'm with Laura, like, I never even considered that movie part of the universe anymore, like, <laughs> at this yeah, point. Before this, like, when I counted down the movies, I never have ever mentioned Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Uh, I mean, impressive. yeah, I mean, like, Ragnarok is really the Hulk movie that, you know, it's... I mean, oh my god, and if we got an actual Planet Planet Hulk, Hulk movie, it yeah. would be so good. Be really oh, more cool. Hulk! Yes. Yeah, I know. More, you know what? No, I want more Ruffalo. That's what I want more of. I yes. want more Ru- Mark Ruffalo. Uh, however, I do think that these movies are giving him, like, a stress attack, so I feel like I, I want him to take a little bit of a break. I think yeah. he, needs, he needs a nice bubble bath after this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, The Incredible Hulk... It, it is not canon. I don't care what anyone tells me. I really do want to have a discussion with somebody, though, that's like, the most important film is The Incredible Hulk, <laughs> which I don't think I'll ever get. But it would be a really fascinating conversation that I'm I wouldn't even sure fight. that person exists. Oh, I hope they do. Please reach out to me. I would love to have a discussion about this. <laughs> um, okay, and then uh, lastly, the most important film, uh, to me, it's Iron Man, without a doubt. Uh, that movie started it all. Uh, I mean, I know some people might say the Avengers was the most important, um, which I wouldn't fight at all. I think it's a very important film. I just think in terms of this phase alone, Iron Man hands down takes it um, as the most important film. It completely it's just it sets up something really, really special that I don't think anyone saw coming. And it made a D list character into a a-list one and also the line at the end of the film i am iron man is probably one of the best superhero scenes uh of all time and it actually made the decision behind marvel to no longer do secret identities really besides peter parker uh like everyone is just really like i am this person like no one really cares uh except for my boy spider-man which i'm not gonna judge uh so yeah (laughs) iron man hounds to hands down uh matt what's your most important uh, I think I have to agree. It, it's Iron Man. Like, I, I think you covered it very, very well. I, Iron Man sets it up in, in a way that no one knew was possible at the time. And just one other thing I want to add to that is, you know, th- th- there were two major superhero movies released in 2008. It was Iron Man and The Dark Knight. And everyone says that, oh, Dark Knight was super influential and super, and it changed everything. But honestly, I, I, I think Iron Man does it more. I think Iron Man is what kickstarted the current era that we in which we live where everything has to be built up to a massive <laughs> mega franchise cinematic universe sort of thing and because it starts that with marvel and because it kickstarts an entire era i, I can't see how it wouldn't be the most important yeah i yeah. agree i almost wish that iron man came out before dark knight in the sense of like uh iron man coming out in 2008 and then the Dark Knight coming out a little later because what what studios took from the Dark Knight and its massive success, the um, the critical acclaim and the, the Oscar buzz and all that kind of stuff, 
was we need to make darker movies. We need to make darker superhero movies. Yeah. And they didn't learn the lesson that Iron Man showed, which is, no, you don't. <laughs> you yeah. should not. Because that's, you need to just make a great story. Don't just make a dark movie. And they just proceeded to make dark, shitty yeah. movies. Yeah. Especially the DC Universe. Until I mean, if we want to, I will happily be on a podcast about how disappointed I am in the DC Cinematic Universe. So, yeah. I, I, I can talk about I'm that saying. all day. I'm going to say what Matt's about chance. to say. Wait, wait for Shazam. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say Matt probably is thinking the same thing because he's actually seen it. Because I feel like it's... Oh no! I've heard, I've I'm heard, just guessing. It's probably pretty amazing, right? I've heard it's, it's really. It's, 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 go on. Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say it, it is pretty amazing, and you can find that review on the site. Yes, <laughs> promoting the review for Shazam by Matt Gilbert. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like, yeah, I am super disappointed because DC really kind of took that idea of making dark films and like seriously ran with it and just hasn't stopped and it's unfortunate now they're trying to copy marvel which is just even a worse look than them just doing their own thing so uh i actually i i've heard okay things about it but you know what people were like really like wonder woman is amazing and i watched that and it was an okay film but it was people thought it was amazing because of how bad the other films were in the dc universe so i'm kind of reluctant to see Aquaman. I know people are like really pumping it up, but I'm a little reluctant. It, it's worth watching. I, I really enjoyed it, but results may vary. Uh, well, when it comes up on Hulu, I will definitely give it a watch. It's okay. Yeah, see, that's that's my thing. I'm just... I don't... I, I, I wouldn't give it a great... I wouldn't say it was bad, but it's okay. It's a yeah. good watch. It's a fun watch. Uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Well, that could be used for another podcast about how disappointed we are uh, since DC. But you know, at the same time, though, DC has created The Dark Knight, and that will be the best superhero film ever made. Uh, I personally don't think any film that Marvel even tries could top it uh, in terms of story wise, story and the villain, Heath Ledger as the Joker, which is magnificent. Um, Agree to disagree. uh, Here. And I love that movie, too. Same. it's a different. It's not. It's not a great. I don't think it's a great superhero movie. I was arguing with a friend years ago, probably when the movie came out, and he's like, "It's not a good Batman movie." And I'm like, "What do you mean it's not a good Batman? It's like the best Batman movie ever." He's like, "But Batman's barely in it." It's a good Joker yeah. movie. It's a good Joker movie. Great. It's a, it's a good great Joker movie. movie. Uh, it's a good crime movie. Yeah. I don't think it's the best superhero movie. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. agree, just, disagree. Just, just like, just like I think that Captain America: Winter Soldier is one of the best movies that's ever come out. But I don't think it's a great superhero movie. I think it's a good political thriller. Mm. I think a great superhero mo- movie is what we'll be discussing next week, which is Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I think that is a great superhero. It's, it's not a great superhero movie. You it's don't a, think so? Oh. It's a great political thriller. It's one of the best movies that's ever ma- been made. I love The Winter Soldier. It's I one just, of the best MCU films. I don't think it's a good superhero movie. I think it's a great genius. political thriller. You could take his costume away and you don't need it. It's still a great movie. Well, so just, what how, is how a great do we... superhero film then to you? I'm just curious. What's a great superhero film is like Infinity. That's a comic book uh, come to life. Yeah. yeah, it is comic book come to In, life. Uh, Spider-Verse. Like those are great uh, superhero uh, movies. Like, like can, how, do can, we, how do we, we define can... superhero movie in a post-Avengers world though? Yes, exactly. Oh, I think I think Spider-Man 2 was a great superhero movie. Like those are great. Like they're, they've made great superhero movies. I just, when... Okay, but, when but the... is Marvel still making those? Yeah, I just said Infinity War. That's a great superhero movie. 
Civil War is a great superhero movie. When you have Giant Man in the middle yeah. of an airport, you've made a great superhero movie. Like those are great superhero movies. I I think what what happens is we get confused when they the the superhero genre adapts another genre of film, and then we're saying, oh, that's the the best superhero movie ever. It's not. It's the best. Uh, it's the best superhero film that is also this. Which is what I said with Winter Soldier is a political thriller. When uh, Dark Knight is a crime film, like it's a great crime movie wrapped up in a super, like the superhero is the wrapping paper to this film. Well, so, like bringing, yeah. sorry, well, sorry, Matt. That's all right. Uh, well, like bringing that back to the talk about phase one, I think that's why I like phase one so much because everything after Avengers is Marvel move, is Marvel making superhero movies that are also. X like you have superhero movies that are also political thrillers that are also comedies that are also you know coming of age stories and I like phase one because it's these are all superhero movies and it and they still have that novelty to them that don't make them feel like a machine I could agree with that yeah honestly yeah looking at that I would think that's actually a great way to sum up Mm -hmm. phase one entirely uh before we really wrap this up uh Rachel you're I I I know you probably agreed with us, but what was your most important film? In it, was Iron, it was Iron Man. Iron. I'm really <laughs> yeah, happy I was, that everyone I was, I was being quiet because I also have a lot of opinions about these things, but I'm like, ah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we should probably <laughs> talk about that in a non-Phase 1 Marvel podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, definitely, definitely Iron Man, again, for all the reasons you listed. Um, and... <clears throat> Yeah, that movie is just like, I don't think anything, if, if that movie was not what it was and didn't succeed the way it did, we wouldn't have what we do now. So I'm really, I'm really happy, actually, that everyone kind of agreed about Iron Man being important, because I've actually talked to a couple of people and everyone always says the Avengers, which I, I again, I don't disagree with. I just think that in terms of importance to the Marvel Universe as a whole, and especially this phase in itself, Iron Man, you can't top that. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, so I mean, to kind of close it out, phase one is obviously one of, if not the most important phase so far, uh, I would say. I mean, again, we haven't closed out phase three yet. Phase three is huge. Uh, and, and then we're going to get into phase. Yeah, I actually thought that we were already in phase four, but we are not in phase four. Phase three is just huge. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is super important. We are introduced to all these amazing characters that honestly have such a huge role in our society now i honestly cannot really think of a world without this huge superhero love uh that really stems from the marvel universe now and thinking back to when iron man was created you know marvel was kind of a bankrupt uh company which is really fascinating to think of because now they're like huge i mean Mm -hmm. they they are a pop culture Mm -hmm. sensation i really don't see anytime soon stopping um I genuinely think, like, I'm getting my niece who is three years old, or is two years old, she loves Spider-Man already. I got her into it, and uh, which is a proud moment of me being an aunt, but also at the same time, like, I think that when she's old enough to really understand, like, this will be something huge in her generation, um, which really stands a, you know, testament of time. But yeah, phase one is super important. Uh, if any, Does anyone else have kind of some closing remarks? Uh, I got to tell you, I, I work at a movie theater and it is so surreal to me when I see kids coming in for 
Avengers who were not alive when there weren't always Marvel movies coming out. Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. I mean, I honestly can't even imagine what the ticket sales are going to be like for Endgame. Uh, oh, it'll be I, fun. <laughs> oh, God. I am literally, like, checking up on the Reddit page ever so often to kind of figure out when the tickets... I, I heard April 2nd is when they're going to start selling tickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll which, be this week, yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I am getting my tickets ready for the first showing on the Thursday night, April 25th. I got shirts made to wear with one of my best friends. Uh <laughs> out there i am super nerd and i'm very excited uh al rachel any closing remarks on your guys side they're saying like 800 million opening weekend worldwide holy christ which is bananas (laughs) so um i think there is enough hype and i pray to god i think this is the movie that can finally take cameron i'm just hoping oh yeah if if any movie could do it Cameron still on top yeah both both films still on top i thought force awakens was still on top no domestic oh okay gotcha yeah worldwide it's still avatar yeah no this film is going to if it makes 800 million worldwide opening weekend it only needs to make like another 2 billion and i know that that sounds like a lot but if you're making 800 opening weekend this movie's gonna not stop making money for the next like three months oh no it's not this is like definitely like this is the payday that Disney already thought they had, and they're just about to become so much richer. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're going to buy their own country by the end of the year. Uh, they're going to have, yeah, they're going to definitely have a country that's just called Disney. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just like a really large theme park. Um, I'd live there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I, would. I would love to go to like a, an Avengers world. Like, just like everything from the movies is real. It's just, ah. Uh, It'd be so great. Um, but, all right, well, I guess that's kind of, I mean, Al, uh, or not Al, Al, Rachel, you guys good? Rachel? Yeah, all good. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> all right, so uh, I guess we're going to close this out by saying that Phase 1 was a blast to watch again. Um, I hope to never watch The Incredible Hulk in, in <laughs> uh, Marvel Binge again like that. Uh, also, I am really happy for Thor Ragnarok. Um, it, this, this phase made me appreciate that film just that much more. Uh, so I guess we'll close off. I, uh, if you guys want to kind of do your own little plugs at all for your social media stuff, uh, Al, we'll start with you. Uh, you can see me not use my, uh, verified Twitter account, uh, at Al Manorino. There you um, go. You can see me sometimes use my Instagram account at Al Manorino. Uh, and you can read and see some of my photos on the Oh, there we go. Uh, Matt, what about you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Gilbert with Fire, or you can follow me on Letterboxd at Not Gilbert Grape, where I post my reviews that don't go on to Pop Break. And I write, uh, pretty much write for the site at least once a week with the uh, Arrow and Flash recaps. And you can find my review of Shazam uh, on the site right now. Check that out. I, I hear uh, from what I've heard from this podcast, it's a, a good DC film, finally. So, yeah. Uh, Rachel, what about you? Um, you can find me on uh, the social medias, uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's at Rachel Kinesis. Um, and of course, I write for the Pop Break, uh, mostly comic reviews and anime reviews. I do some of the movie stuff here, movie and TV stuff here and there. Um, but uh, yeah, everything I write goes up on the site and on my social media. So, um, and you can check me out pretty much. 
just on pop break i am the only 23 year old out there that does not really use twitter nor instagram and i uh yeah but i do write for the site you can check me out there i uh write some movie reviews tv reviews and i'll be doing these podcasts for the next four weeks so hope to see you next weekend when we discuss phase two and uh try to see how that matches up with phase one so uh thanks for listening